Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover epithelial ovarian malignancy. Ovarian cancer is the most deadly of all the gin malignancies. Remember that most ovarian cancers present at an advanced stage of stage 3 or further because of its varied presentation and symptomatology. Additionally, there is no identified and established screening tool for ovarian cancer. Therefore, most patients present not an early stage disease, but with disease that's already advanced. Okay, remember that ovarian cancer has three main histological types. Epithelial ovarian cancers, which by far are the most common, accounting for 85 to 90% of ovarian malignancies. This is followed by germ cell cancers and lastly, sex cord stromal malignancies. As epithelial ovarian cancer is the most predominant and the most common type, this podcast will focus on epithelial ovarian malignancies. This is the second most common gynecological malignancy after endometrial cancer. However, it's the most common cause of death from gynecological malignancy. Ovarian cancer patients usually succumb to their mortality due to bowel obstruction. Now remember, there's no reliable screening test available and the median age of diagnosis for ovarian cancer is between 60 and 64 years of age. Established risk factors for ovarian cancer include family history, although remember that the vast majority of cases of ovarian cancer are not linked to a specific genetic syndrome, but family history does present the strongest known risk factor with about 10 to 15% of ovarian cancers having some sort of familial or genetic tie. Hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer or the Lynch syndrome does account for 3 to 14% of ovarian cancer cases. Next, of course, is a BRCA genetic mutations. BRCA1 has an absolute risk of developing ovarian cancer over a lifetime of between 35 to 45%. The risk of developing ovarian cancer over a lifetime for BRCA2 is between 15 to 25%. There are some protective factors like multiparity, the use of oral contraceptive pills, and prior breastfeeding with lactational amenorrhea due mainly to anovulation. Now remember that there's a lot of data and new research on ovarian cancer, so some protective factors can include bilateral salpingectomy history. Since, remember that the newest data shows that epithelial ovarian cancer likely does not begin in the ovary itself, but in the distal fallopian tube. Symptoms and signs of the condition include abdominal discomfort and abdominal bloating, upper abdominal fullness, and early satiety. But remember, these are kind of general and broad symptoms and is one of the reasons why diagnosis usually happens at an advanced stage. Regarding the signs, a pelvic mass, 
fixed and solid that can have some bilateral presentations or irregularity. And ascites or a nodular cul-de-sac are all objective signs that increase the likelihood of ovarian cancer. The most common histology of the epithelial ovarian class family is the serous cyst adenocarcinoma, accounting for about 46% of cases. These can have bilateral presentation, and remember the term sonoma bodies with epithelial serous cyst adenoma cases. Mucinous cancers account for 36% of the histologies. Undifferentiated tissue is found in 15%. Less likely and less common is the endometrioid epithelial ovarian cancer at 8%. Clear cell is less common still at 3%. Brenner's tumors make up less than 2% and pure squamous epithelial cancers make up less than 1%. Okay, now we'll cover stage here in just a minute, but remember that the five-year survival is directly related to the stage at diagnosis. Stage 1A to stage 1C has a 90 to 83% five-year survival. Stage 2A to stage 2C has an 85 to 70% survival. Stage 3A going to stage 3C drops to 45 to 30%, and stage 4 only has between a 15 to 19% five-year survival. Okay, let's cover surgical staging of ovarian cancer next. Okay, now before we get into the FIGO surgical staging classification, remember that there's some pre-treatment evaluation which can occur. Of course, a complete history and physical should be done, including a pelvic and rectovaginal examinations. ACOG does support the use of a CT scan prior to surgical debulking as part of the pre-treatment evaluation. Now remember, although serum tumor markers are often drawn pre-surgery as a way to screen or even triage ovarian mass patients, remember that these tumor markers are not indicated for primary screening and are originally described and intended to follow up patients post-surgery and post-auto reduction to see if they're at risk of recurrence or failure. Nonetheless, ACOG does state that if a CA125 is drawn, although it's nonspecific in premenopausal women, referral to a gynecologist-oncologist should take place if the CA125 serum level is greater than 200 in a premenopausal woman and if the CA125 is greater than 35 in a postmenopausal woman. Similarly, referral to a gynecological oncologist is necessary in women presenting with an anexal mass and ascites or a family history of breast or ovarian cancer in a first-degree relative, according to the ACOG committee opinion. The FIGO, surgical staging of ovarian cancer, again, is based on surgical findings. Stage 1 is tumor confined to the ovaries. Stage 1 is divided into stage 1A, 1B, and 1C. Stage 1A is tumor limited to one ovary with a capsule intact and there's no surface involvement or negative ascites or pelvic washings. Stage 1B has tumor limited to both ovaries, again with a capsule intact and there's no surface involvement and there's negative ascites or negative pelvic washings. Stage 1C is tumor limited to one or both ovaries with any of the following either surgical spill or the capsule that ruptured before surgery or tumor on the ovarian capsule 
Also, malignant cells in the acidic peritoneal fluid qualifies under stage 1C. For stage 2, this involves tumor of one or both ovaries with pelvic extension, but that's below the pelvic brim. This also involves peritoneal cancer. Stage 2 is divided into stage 2A and stage 2B. Stage 2A has extension or implants on the uterus and or tubes with the ovaries. Stage 2B has extension to other pelvic intraperitoneal tissues. Stage 3 is tumor involving one or both ovaries or peritoneal cancer with cytologically or histologically confirmed spread to the peritoneum outside the pelvis and or metastasis to the retroperitoneal lymph nodes. Stage 3 is divided into stage 3A, 3B, and 3C. 3A has positive retroperitoneal nodes and or microscopic mets beyond the pelvis. Stage 3B has macroscopic peritoneal mets beyond the pelvis but limited to 2 centimeters in greatest dimension with or without positive retroperitoneal nodes. Stage 3C is macroscopic peritoneal mets beyond the pelvis but that are more than 2 centimeters in greatest dimension. Now this includes extension of tumor to the capsule of the liver and the capsule of the spleen but this is without parenchymal involvement of either organ. This can occur with or without positive retroperitoneal lymph nodes. Stage 4 obviously includes metastasis. Stage 4 is distant metastasis, excluding peritoneal metastasis. Stage 4B is parenchymal metastasis and mets to extra-abdominal organs, like the inguinal lymph nodes and the lymph nodes outside the abdominal cavity. For treatment, remember that in general, optimal subtle reduction is considered removal of most implants and gross disease less than one centimeter within the abdominal pelvic area. The treatment is also based on stage. For stage 1A, observation for grade 1 tumors can be allowed. For grade 2 and above, then consideration can be given to observation versus adjuvant taxane and carboplatin chemotherapy. For stage 1b, observation for grade 1 tumors is allowed, but adjuvant taxane and carboplatin for 3 to 6 cycles is typically used and recommended. For stage 1c, adjuvant taxane and carboplatin for 3 to 6 cycles is the norm, as it is for all the stages of 1c, either 1c1, 1c2, or 1c3. For stage 2, the treatment is adjuvant taxane carboplatin for 3 to 6 cycles. For stage 3, the surgeon should consider neoadjuvant chemotherapy plus interval debulking and adjuvant chemotherapy versus primary debulking surgery followed by adjuvant chemotherapy. Stage 4 has similar complicated treatment and that can consider either neoadjuvant chemotherapy and interval debulking along with adjuvant chemotherapy versus primary debulking surgery followed by adjuvant chemotherapy. Now there's been some advances in the treatment of recurrent or advanced ovarian cancer and we'll talk about those new therapies next. Alright, so now some of the new treatments for ovarian cancer focus around bevacinumab, which is Avastin IV plus chemotherapy for recurrent or metastatic or advanced cases of ovarian cancer. Additionally, the agent poly-ADP ribose polymerase inhibitors, also known as PARP1 and PARP2 inhibitors, have been approved by the FDA 
for the treatment of recurrent ovarian cancer in patients with deleterious germline BRCA mutations and those who have been treated with three or more prior lines of chemotherapy. Okay, well, let's talk about bevacinumab, which is a Avastin IV for just a moment. Bevacinumab IV plus traditional chemotherapy, either topotecan, liposomal doxorubicin, and placitaxel has been FDA-approved in the treatment of recurrent platinum-resistant ovarian cancer. Bevacinumab, or Avastin, is an antibody against VEGF, a. Now, any patient treated with bevacinumab, again, that's Avastin, should be considered at risk for new or worsening hypertension, proteinuria, thrombotic events, bleeding, altered wound healing, and in some reports, gastrointestinal perforation. Hypertension is the most common side effect, and management should be initiated when blood pressure reaches greater than or equal to 140 over 90. Multiple antihypertensive drugs are being used to treat anti-angiogenic therapy-induced hypertension, and this can include calcium channel blockers, ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, and diuretics. Okay, well, what about intraperitoneal chemo? Well, intraperitoneal chemo with platinum and taxane should be considered as a first-line treatment option for women with stage 3 ovarian or fallopian tube or peritoneal cancer after optimal cytoreductive surgery. Okay, this wraps up our review of epithelial ovarian cancer, the most common type of ovarian malignancy. We'll see you next time.